Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, so I'm going to start with local boy makes good story. There, there's a lot of local baseball players, football players, and basketball players for that matter. But I'm going to tell you one about a kid down my street, literally down the street from where I live in Lutz, Florida, uh, in Villa Rosa there. I'm, I'm not going to give you my address, but it's it's just just about a block or two away. So I moved in here in 2002. Um, there was this there was this little kid. He could have been more than five years old or so, and and him and his dad would play would play catch. You know, there's nothing better than seeing a game of catch right between a dad and his son. And they'd be out in the yard, and it actually had you know uh, sort of an open area next to their yard, so they they had a lot of grass, and they they would go out there and they'd throw. And you'd see him throwing footballs and stuff too in the fall, but mostly it was always he was pitching to his dad, was in, in the catching position, and this went on. And then they they'd be you know hitting wiffle balls and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know how you find out the rest of the story. Um, years that go by, right? And I I would see the kid you know packing his baseball bats up for little league or travel ball or whatever he was doing, and you kind of watched him grow. But then I I kind of lost track of him somewhere between the time he was 12 and high school. You know what I mean? Like, I've just not seen him as much. Well, it turns out that that kid is Tim Elko, who was the, who was the third baseman slash DH for the Old Miss Rebels, who uh, had been ranked number one in the country. They're going to host the college baseball, one of the regional uh, tournaments in Oxford this week, as a matter of fact. Um, they lost in the semifinals of the SEC tournament. Nonetheless, Tim Elko has had two really tough years um, in college baseball, of course, a year ago, the pandemic hit. Um, you had, you know, sort of a, a I think, an abbreviated schedule um, if they played if they played at all. Then you had the draft, and they reduced that to just a few rounds. He would have come out and been drafted, um, but because he could come back sort of uh, with the extra year and be a fifth-year senior, he decided to do that. He had an unbelievable march. It turns out he hit like nine home runs, was – Leading the nation, and and uh, and then he tore his ACL, which is an injury you you don't typically see in baseball, but he did it, and so it was devastating, right? You're thinking, wow, this kid uh, was you know an All American type third baseman, uh, ranked number one, you know, by by many um, publications in college baseball, and so I thought, well, that's it, you know, bad break, two bad breaks, two bad years. Turns out he didn't have the surgery. He has come back. And in the last uh, couple of weeks, he's made it back onto the field. He's hit three or four more home runs. This is with a torn ACL. He can't run. Um, he sort of like, you know, waddles around the bases, for lack of a better word. But you know what? When you hit it over the fence, you don't have to run that that fast. So he has made it back, and his team is is playing for the regional, go to the College World Series. And uh, it's just wild to me. And, and the reason I know him is because – uh, my wife's boss, uh, one of her bosses, is David Mallets, and his son Josh Mallets pitches for Ole Miss. He pitched at Jesuit. He went to Ole Miss as a freshman this year. He works out of the bullpen primarily, and him and Elko, of course, are friends because they're both from here and they travel around together. And it's it's a small world, but but good luck to Tim Elko as uh, as college baseball. Now we saw USF won their conference tournament. They're going to go to Gainesville for their regional. 
Um, but yeah, just kind of a weird story, man. You never know that little kid in the yard throwing the ball to his dad next to you, you know, might, might turn out to be kind of a big deal. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. and, you know, we know we tons of players around here, particularly baseball oh, sure. and football and that, but right. you know, good on that kid. And, and, you know, hopefully he has a really good, uh, college world series coming up here. So yeah, it's been a, been a tough, a tough year for him, but he's, he's made, made I've not known many players that play with a torn ACL play anything. He's going to have surgery as soon as the season is over. Obviously, he wants to get to pro baseball and, and such. Um, so he'll have probably about a five- or six-month recovery there. But, um, you know, and like you said, there's there's a ton of ball players are in the major leagues, much less, um, you know, college baseball from this area. But it was just, it was just a kind of a neat little story down the street. Meanwhile, um, you know, this is, this is interesting. You know, the Rays now – beat the Yankees uh, in New York in the Bronx 3 to 1 in the afternoon. They won their 16th game in, in their 16th victory in 17 games. They are now have the best record in all of the major leagues. They are 35 and 20, 15 games over 500, which is just remarkable. And yet here's my here's my sort of perception of things. I don't think the people in New York think that the Rays are better than them. You're not better than me. I think they don't I think the Yankees cannot believe and this has happened now for two solid years that the Rays have owned the Yankees. Rays of course went on to the American League Championship Series a year ago. Rays leading the AL East, Rays with the best record in baseball not just in the American League. I still think that the Yankees believe how in the hell are these guys beating us? That's what I that's what I think that all of New York thinks. I think the fan base absolutely. I think the players know exactly why. I, I think I think the players know that the Rays are a better team. They're better. Mm-hmm. They're just better. Better pitching for sure, mm-hmm. right? And and I mean once you know once you get through a couple hitters in that lineup, um, and and Judge is hot and cold, right? A lot of them are. Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get with him. Um, Lemayhew may be their best all around hitter. Oh, he absolutely he is. I mean, I mean the other problem they have is they're hurt all the time. They are. They are, and they don't have you know, the Rays. The Rays have as much injuries as anybody, but they have pieces that, they plug the, in. Yeah, the, their yeah. pieces are so versatile. Someone goes down, they they have the pieces to plug in. The Yankees don't. The Yankees have Stanton or Judge or Lemayhew or go through the lineup, go down, and they don't have any, and, they, and they don't play very good defense either. Um, no, you know, Kiermaier, Kiermaier scored a run because Aaron Judge overthrows the cutoff man. Yeah, he did. Yep, that's you exactly I mean? right. I mean, maybe, from, I mean, maybe uh, Kiermaier scores if he hits Rugnet Odor, but maybe not. You don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Scored yeah, from think, first on a do- on a, essentially a double. Know, I don't think there's a question that the, the Rays are a better team than the Yankees right now and have been for a couple seasons. And it's not a fluke. You know, I mean, a lot of people, it, what's interesting is that for as much as the Yankees, you know, just outspend everybody, and they do, mm-hmm. Um, and they have marquee names, you know, uh, and, and can buy any player that's a free agent, and they do. Um, I, I just think that, you know, they, they sort of look at the Rays, well, they're the guys that have the opener, and they're the ones that, you know, have all the shifts. Well, you know what? Everybody in baseball now is is overplaying the shifts, and everybody in base, baseball at one time or another, including the Yankees, have used – the quote unquote opener uh, and, and, you know, all those things that the Rays developed that they may have thought were gimmicky have, have now become sort of standard fare in baseball. But you know what? They don't, they don't have, it's not the X's and the O's as they say, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's, right? They don't have the versatility 
the defense. I mean, again, during this streak where the Rays have won 16 out of 17, some of the plays they made, you know, Yanni Diaz made a play at third base that absolutely mm-hmm. got Rich Hill out of a jam. Mm-hmm. And I think every game there's been one or two of those, right? We've seen catches in the outfield by Kiermaier, um, you know, by a lot of guys, actually, their entire outfield. I mean, the, the whole the whole ball club is is defensive-oriented, and now that their lineup has sort of lengthened, you know, with, um, you know. G-Man Choi returning. G-Man and- Choi and, and uh, you know, the shortstop uh Taylor Walls. Hill, Kevin Walls, yeah. And so, I mean, they they just seem to be one through nine. They're a much better lineup. But they're a better baseball team. It's it's not even like you, you put them on the field and you look at them and you go, those are the, you know, that that's that's Darth Vader, right? That's the evil empire, all that stuff, right? With the Yankees, the pinstripes, the tradition, all the World Series, all of that. But you know what? Reggie Jackson isn't coming up there in his prime. And neither is Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig. I mean... Aaron Judge has had his day. Stanton's had plenty of good days. But at the end of the day, the Rays just are a better baseball team and a better product overall and play the game better. And, you know, what's been interesting during this whole 16 through 17 thing is how they've won in so many different ways. They've won jumping out in front of teams and then and then blowing leads. They've run won coming from behind. Um, they've won low-scoring games. They've scored a lot of runs during during this uh, during this period. But they, the bottom line is they, they win games. They just right now they know how to win, and I don't know how far this can go. I mean, to be sixteen and one out of your last seventeen games, this is the major leagues. This isn't you know this is the American League East. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable what's going on with this baseball team. Yeah, to win sixteen out of seventeen is impressive, and and, and to continue their dominance in New York. Nine of their last ten games at Yankee Stadium, they've that's won. crazy, right? It's only what the fourth time in twenty-five years that that's happened, and the Rays but actually for anybody did it, the Rays did it previously in the thirteen and fourteen seasons, yeah, um, to win nine out of ten in, in Yankee Stadium. The Yankees lineup is built to crush mediocre mash, pitching. mash. Yeah, there you go. But mm-hmm. when you put really good pitching, which most of the Rays pitchers are, they mm-hmm. struggle and they struggle mightily. That lineup yeah. is not. Those aren't great hitters top to bottom. They're guys that can mash mediocre pitching, and they will mash it. They go play the Orioles, and they usually light them up. Why they didn't against Detroit this weekend, who knows? Mm-hmm. But when they when they face really good pitching, which is why in the playoffs they generally get eliminated, is they're not yeah. a lineup built to hit elite pitching. That's a good point. They, they'll hit your three, four, and five starters, no problem. Struggle with your one and twos. And the and the Rays, the way they construct their pitching staff, maybe they don't. Maybe they've got a one or a, maybe a one and a two, but they got a lot of one A's and two B's, and you know, and the way they construct and figure out how to get twenty seven outs. I mean, the Rays have completely changed the way you think about baseball and pitching. If you really think about it, starting with the opener a few years ago, and you know, it, it's they've completely changed how you go about getting twenty seven outs, and they have a team built to do that. Not only that, you know, um, Rich Hill, who is <laughs> forty-one years old, mm-hmm. ha- has is on a is on a roll like uh, like he's never been on in his career right now. The way he's pitching, I mean, he's throwing great. Another strong outing, so he shuts out the Yankees um, for the first five innings. But here's what's remarkable about it: he needed only fifty-six pitches to do so. If you get through five innings with fifty-six pitches, I'm thinking you're going to throw a complete game, um, but. You know, Kevin Cash made made the calculus, and the Rays did that. They they did not want Hill 
to go through that particular lineup for a third time. And they did hit some hard, they did hit some balls hard at people, and, and the Rays were able to make some plays um, on some others. But the bullpen took over from there. So Michael Walker, who's working his way back and building up some innings, um, sort of as a bulk guy of late, uh, he came on. Then they had uh, Pete Fairbanks, of course, and throw the ball almost 100 miles an hour. Then Ryan Thompson, who's been terrific, the, the side armor. And then finish with uh, J.P. Fireisen, who who sort, sort of is taking a little bit over that uh, one of those closer roles, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. they've, they've got several guys that can do it, but he certainly is one as well. So they, they sort of spackled the end of that game together. But I think what they're doing, Steve, is, you know, it, as much as maybe you didn't want Hill to face them a third time through the lineup, I think this is all about let's see, let's get our guys. It's a little presumptuous that they're going to make the postseason, but what the hell, they got the best record in baseball on Memorial Day. Or did and so let's let's try to to make sure all our guys are still have innings, and they're sort of managing their workload. I think to make sure that they're still able to pitch in September and October. Well, that's there's a couple of things I think with today we don't we don't know what pitching in the second half of the season is going to look like for anybody. That's because true. everyone had so few innings last year. That's true, and including a lot of the the minor league guys who had no innings. I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, they're pitching at the alternate sites and stuff, but no game innings in that. So we don't know what the second half of the season is going to look like pitching-wise. So if you've got a chance to save a 41-year-old pitcher and save some innings against a Yankees team who isn't hitting worth anything right now, and why give them a chance to see a pitcher for a third time and wake up those bats that have been silent for two weeks now? Yeah, I think, what, they've scored two runs or less in nine, what is it, nine out of the last 12 games? It's incredible. That they, you know, the Yankees have scored. They're what? They're thirteenth in the AL in runs per game, or tied for thirteenth with the Orioles, second worst in the American League. I mean, you know, this two hundred eight million dollar team isn't hitting right now, so don't give them any reason to wake up. But I think it's also saving, you know, Rich Hill. Forget the playoffs, even, but just the second half of the season. Let's make oh, sure yeah. that we're going to compete all season long. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we can save some innings now, because. We've got a, a two-run lead at the time. I think it was two nothing, if I recall yeah. right. It's two nothing. We've got Michael Waka ready, who we're very confident in too. So let's not let Rich go through a third time through, and maybe they see something and wake up those bats. Let's keep those bats quiet, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, Cash said after the game that there was some back and forth with him and, and, and uh, Kyle Snyder, their pitching coach, and um, you know, it, it also was his third start against the Yankees, so they've seen him a good bet already this year. The bullpen was completely set up. Um, so, you know, they thought Walker would give him a different look. And, um, you know, and like I said, they had hit some balls hard against him just at other people. Uh, so Waka gave up uh, the one run, the two-out homer to Miguel Andohar in the seventh. Mm-hmm. And then I think they gave up uh, – I think Fire Rising gave up a double to uh, Odor, I believe, in the ninth. But yep. other than that, um, they, they shut him down the rest of the way. And this – this Rays pitching staff now is really the story. The pitching and defense has become so good, uh, and it's always sort of worked hand in glove together But with this Rays team. But they really are, are um, during this particular streak where they're playing well, have done it uh, both on the mound and, and in the field. And getting, you know, getting key hits when they need to. And, and like I said, um, every game seems to be a, you know, different, but they're all, they're all contributing. There's a lot of energy. It was funny. Mark Tompkin, who is uh, in the Bronx, wrote that uh, the evidence of their winning streak uh, could be could be heard by the hoarseness of Kevin Kiermaier's voice. Apparently, he's he's very demonstrative in the post game 
celebrations that the Rays are famous for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been winning so much that his voice is getting scratchy from too many celebrations. So um, I so thought that was going to go on the IL for vocal cord rest or, you know. Hey, if anyone's going to, it's going to be Kiermaier. Let's, what do you have, <laughs> an eyelash? A vocal cord, you know. <laughs> an eyelash took him out in Dunedin against the Blue Jays. So anything can happen, you know. Um, but he said, I'm trying to keep the energy up, but my throat has to wear it more than anything. But you know what? As long as we're winning, we're going to keep keep celebrating. And, you know, I just wonder, like, how far can they go? I mean, 16-1, and one, at some point they're going to start getting into – I know there's a consecutive game streak, right, that's um, that's that's hard to attain. It's like 20 or something. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, 16 out of 17, how long before you go it's like, okay, we've won 23 out of 24. Like, you know, it, it's just it's amazing the stretches that they're on now. Um, and it just shows how, how good a baseball they're playing. But now the Yankees, they lost for the sixth time in seven games. They had been swept by the Tigers before this series. They're 29-25. and 25. They're now five and a half games behind the Rays. I'm not saying the division is over as far as the Yankees go. I mean, I don't think you can win one. Uh, we're, we're, we've rolled over the calendar now. This is the 1st of June. But I think you can lose it by the time June's over if you continue on this, the June swoon, as they call it. If you if you continue that into June, you could find yourself in a in a dark, deep place. You know. Yeah, I mean the Yankees are still what five games, four games above five hundred. Yeah, um, they're, they're four games above. You know, yeah. I mean they're not they're not of it, but any stretch. But the, the Rays are off to such a good start that they're what fifteen games over through fifty five games, so just past the the third way mark. Right. If they go five hundred the rest of the season, you realize that's eighty eight to eighty nine wins. Just five hundred to go yeah. five hundred the rest of the season. That's what this. They were five hundred when this streak started of sixteen to seven. They were twenty and nineteen. This is the amazing thing. They remember they lost. Um, well, actually, the the first win of this stretch was May thirteenth. They lost to the Yankees, then they won at home on May thirteenth, and that improved their record to twenty and nineteen. Right, they were nineteen we're, and nineteen when this started. Yeah, right. We're we're just eighteen days later, mm-hmm. right? And they've lost only once. Yep, <laughs> only once in eighteen days. And like I said, if they go 500 the rest of the season, which there's no reason to think they won't go 500 the rest of the season. Sure, sure. Based on this roster and, and you know, lineup and, and the way they play defense and the way they pitch. Mm-hmm. That's 88 to 89 wins already. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's putting yourself in a good position at Memorial Day, which is when you say the season starts and you really have an idea of what's going to happen this year. Yeah, don't look at the standings to Memorial Day. Well, look at them now. And you've got the the best record in all of baseball. I mean, I would have thought – you know, I know the Dodgers and the Padres have been going back and forth. I would have thought that uh, I think I, I would have picked the Dodgers to win about 110 games this year. You know, that's mm-hmm. how loaded they seem to be. Padres show up, so those teams have good records. But to have the best record in baseball when when 18 days ago you were 20-19, and 19, that just yep. goes to show you what a tear they're on. Well, and, and, you know, you look at this, you know, the way, and we've talked about it, the second half of the season, the schedule shapes up better for you. I mean, you, yeah, you know, what, you've played what Baltimore three times so far. You you played three games. You got nineteen games against those guys. So you're gonna mm-hmm. play them sixteen more times. Yep. Um, you know, the second half of the schedule looks better for the Rays, mm-hmm. and they're already, you know, setting themselves up nicely. You know, for for the postseason or to you know finish the regular season very you know with a, with a really good record. Like I said, five hundred the rest of the way. Do you think this Rays roster can go five hundred for the remaining? Yeah. What is it? One hundred and nine, eleven games, whatever it is. Oh, absolutely. Or you know, it's less than that. One hundred and seven, I think. Um, right. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's that's easily attainable for this team. 
you know, barring you know, barring a ton of injuries or something that you know well, bizarre that happens. But right, you, you know, can't and, you can't have that. And, and getting back to Rich Hill, what the month of April or of May? What's it? Thirty-four plus innings, three earned runs. It's crazy, right? I mean, you know, I I, don't, I haven't looked around the league, but I mean, he could easily be pitcher of the month. You know what's funny? I mean, you lose, you know, you lament losing a Charlie Morton, right? Who made fifteen million dollars by going to Atlanta Braves. God bless him. The Atlanta Braves wanted to pay him another year. The Rays did not want to. And you get a guy who's even older, right? I can't imagine Charlie Morton, and in fact, I don't think he's pitching this well in Atlanta, but I can't imagine Charlie Morton would have done anything more than what a guy who is now 41 that's doing for you in Rich Hill. Mm-hmm. Well, and remember, the way they wanted to, to fill those innings from Morton and even Snell was not just Rich Hill, but Chris Archer, who we've barely seen at this point and is working right. his way back. And, mm-hmm. and you hope that they could put him in the, the right positions that he will have a very good season as well. And yep. then some of the other arms, like Luis Patino, who was just uh, reinstated from the IL and optioned to Durham. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that that some of these arms that we were looking to fill, Blake Snell and Charlie Bourne's innings, we haven't seen yet. Or right. we're not seeing a lot of yet because they've been hurt or whatever else. I'm well, you know. haven't seen Honey well. You haven't, yep. you know, I mean. Uh, a couple um, appearances, but yeah, he hasn't been up here much yet. Josh, Josh Fleming has filled in as yep. a starter and has been remarkable. Who would have thought how even... well he was? he would have done? He didn't begin. He didn't begin the year with the, in the majors, mm-hmm. right? Neither did Patino. I mean, these guys were 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 not here, uh, and now they're playing huge roles. Um, you know, as uh, as was a lot of their starters right now. So yeah, it's been. But even look at Springs. I mean, you know, Boston yeah. gave up on him or didn't want him anymore. And look at you know the Rays have turned him in. He's a solid pitcher for them. Very solid. Um, and I tell you what, fire high, fire rising is going to really help them too. I mean, for as much as we, you know, you may miss. The energy that Willie Adamas brought, mm-hmm. and he was a fan favorite, and and, and for good reason. Um, they needed another power arm in the back of that bullpen, mm-hmm. and they got one. Well, we know? haven't seen Drew Rasmussen either, who they got in that trade, who's down at Durham too. So that's right. Um, and granted, they gave up Trevor Richards as well in that trade. So, but yeah. he they weren't using him in a lot of high leverage situations or anything. So, right. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, the Lightning have a very big game tonight. Game two at Carolina. They lead that series one to nothing, of course, with the two to one win that they had on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, no word and- on Eric Chernak or David Savard yet. Uh, neither one practiced on Monday. But that was um, that kind of an optional practice. I mean, is it one where you required to be there? Or I think it was. Practice? It was a. It was a required practice. Chernak was seen there, kind of on the sidelines. I don't. Okay. I'm, I'm guessing his may have been concussion. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, so it all depends if he's cleared medically at that point. Which we don't know. You know about maybe Savard. he won't be for tonight. Savard. They said day to day upper body injury. Um, mm-hmm. Said we know maybe no more tomorrow which will be mm-hmm. today as you're listening to this podcast. Uh, right. Blake Coleman and Andre Vasilevsky both were not uh, at practice. They both took uh, body maintenance days, yeah. which is typical this time of year. So nothing. I don't think there's anything to read into either one of those. So Right. Well, listen, if they can get if they can go up 2-0 in this series, of course that turns everything around. They've already um, reclaimed home ice uh, just by virtue of winning game one. Mm-hmm. But 
um, certainly that would be in their favor. So uh, one of the interesting stories, and Eduardo Encina uh, is there in Raleigh, wrote this for the Tampa Bay Times, is just sort of about how good that the Hurricanes penalty kill is. They had the third best penalty kill in the NHL at 85.2%. And you, you could see that in game one. Um, they had not allowed a power play goal in 13 home penalty uh, kill situations in the first round series. They took like 26 uh, penalty kill situations in the first round against in six games against the Predators. I mean, they took a lot of penalties, but their penalty kill was fantastic. But there was fantastic. And um, to that point, you know, the Lightning only had one real shot on goal um, in their penalty, and it went in. Mm-hmm. It was the it was the one that Braden Point scored off of a a, a pass or shot from uh, Victor Hedman. So, if you watch that game, how aggressive Carolina is on the penalty kill. Oh, they, they give you no room at all. They come right after you. But if you can pass it quick, you can find open spots. If you can move the puck, and that's mm-hmm. what that's what the uh, Lightning talked about. Um, one of the things that they, I'm sure they were practicing. They were, they were working on that today. On Sunday yes. was was moving the puck in the power play, not letting Carolina um, be aggressively, you know, going after you and checking you and, and preventing those passes and, you know, just, just how quickly they can move it. And, and they've obviously got plenty of skilled players on their power play too. I mean, and if you're playing the Lightning, you should fear the power play because it's it's lethal. It's been lethal in the postseason for sure, especially with Stamkos and Kucherov back and, uh, pointing everybody so uh yeah that's something to watch for in this game i think all these games steve i i bet you now watch it'll it'll end up being like a seven six game but i would bet you that most if not all of these games will be won with no more than three goals i i really think it's going to be that tight this you know? this series should be a lot tighter as far as that goes than the florida series yeah, the Florida series was more physical. It was wide open, um, right? But a lot more wide open with that. This, this these two teams love to forecheck and keep that puck in the opposite end. Um, you know, force you to make plays two hundred feet up the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just I think yeah, I think these two teams. It's definitely going to be a tighter series. I mean, you may get a game that someone gets four or five goals, but it, this is going to be a much tighter series. Every goal is going to matter significantly in this series. Um, as we saw, you know, the one that Delkovich let in, you know, that's a bad goal that he gave up to Goodrow. Um, you know, and, and, but as Brenda Moore says, you're going to need more than one goal to beat the Lightning. I think you're going to need more than one goal to beat the Hurricanes, but you're not going to get five and six a game. That's right. Not regularly. I mean, you know, no, there's always those options. Yeah. And, you know, there could be some empty netters, but I mean, a regulation type, you know, mm-hmm. non-empty netting goal. I mean, I think it's, sure. again, the series, if you go back and look at how they played this year, I think most of the games – were one goal games. It was four three one, mm-hmm. I think, in favor of the Lightning, and almost all of them were three to two, two to one, you know, that sort of thing. So um, it's going to be a tight. I think it's going to be a tight series. High high pressure situations, right? Yep. Penalty kill will be big. Power play will be big. You you know you, you can't obviously give uh, you know the Hurricanes extra chances like that. If the but Lightning can stay off the penalty kill, and they 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 had to, committed too many penalties on Sunday. If they mm-hmm. can reduce that to two or three a game most, max, that you're on the penalty kill, I think the Lightning have a really right. good shot in the series. You start you agree. start letting them have four or five chances like you did on Sunday, and you're playing with fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think if you can leave this game five on five or you know minimize those chances where you're shorthanded, the Lightning will, will do just fine. Because Carolina's not going to take a ton of penalties. You're not no. going to get a lot of power plays against them. I think if you saw the way they played in game one compared to what they did against Nashville, there's a conscious effort, and you didn't see all that post-whistle stuff in this in that first game. No, no, they're not. 
They're not going scrumming. B- both know. teams don't want to be giving up penalties. Right. Because, you know, I mean, Carolina saw what Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman and Point did to the Panthers' penalty kill. Right. You know, I and mean, that completely changed the series right there. Yeah. And, and, and they and don't they don't want that at all. So their their first goal for the Lightning was against the power play, and mm-hmm. and you know the, there was some stick penalties, some inadvertent trippings on point, and some things like that that uh, they just got to clean up. But yeah, they're not looking for the extracurricular stuff, you know, after the after the whistle. And then you're not going to see a whole lot of that. Um, their physicality will be, you know, during the game. And um, you know, I think we saw Kucherov, you know, retaliate after a cross check that wasn't called. So they got to be smart about that. But yeah, I, I don't think either team is is looking to go uh, uh, give them a man advantage. So anyway, it should be exciting game two uh, tonight in Charlotte. And also, we, had, we had the annual rite of passage. Another Toronto uh, Raleigh, actually. Yeah, another Toronto losing a three one series lead. Yeah, what I mean, they're they have epic fail on them, right? With respect to the playoffs. I mean, how many series now you, you, has it been since Toronto has actually advanced to the second round? Because for a while there, they were rarely in the playoffs. They have not won a playoff series since two thousand and four. That is the second longest streak in hockey. Only the Panthers are more since nineteen ninety six. My goodness, that is incredible because they've had good teams, right? They they've made the postseason a few times. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Toronto, you've got guys like. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. Yeah. yeah. You know, you've got some studs on that team. William Nylander. Right. right. I mean, you've got players that can play. It's, you know, it's, I don't want to equate them exactly to the Edmonton Oilers, who's got Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and can't ever get past the first round either, it seems like. Um, there's different reasons for them, but, but Toronto has, it, it, I don't think they play good enough defense predominantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they, they they they've tried to address that a little bit, but um, that's a, a, a goaltending they've never really quite figured out um, consistently, particularly for the playoffs. But wow, I mean they they were up three one against Montreal. They won the North Division. You know this was the year that Toronto was supposed to make it to the Final Four at least because we know mm-hmm. a Canadian team's making it to the Final Four mm-hmm. based on the division realignments and such. And so Toronto was supposed to be you know they were already crowning them to be in the Final Four. Taking on, you know, probably, you know, the Lightning or Hurricanes winner or something. Goodness. Um, and now they're out. And so Montreal and Winnipeg, the three and four seeds from the North Division advance. That's crazy. And then, you know, Toronto is the epicenter of hockey in Canada. I mean, that's, you know, they're nuts up there about it. And and, and to have a team collapse like that. Well, and, and, man. And, but not only that, it's one thing when they collapse to Boston every year, which it seems like they get matched up a lot. Sure. She lost to Montreal. But to Montreal. Yeah. Yeah, right. That stings even more for them. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I mean, hey, congratulations, to Montreal. They're on on to the next round, but it's uh, uh it's got to be a stinging lot, a stinging loss for Toronto. And what it does too now, we now know the matchups for the Final Four in hockey, because Vegas and Carolina or Vegas and Colorado are the top two seeds. They had the most points in the NHL this year. And Winnipeg and Montreal, who are facing each other, had the lowest points of the two of the remaining teams. The winners of those two series will face each other in the next round, which means the winner of the Lightning Hurricane series will mm-hmm. face the winner of the Bruins Islander series. Right. And the Lightning Hurricanes, whoever wins that series, will have home ice in that series because both those teams finish with more points than the Islanders and Bruins. Interesting. So, and the Islanders Bruins, uh, Bruins lead that series 1 0. The game two is in overtime as we're taping this. So, Islanders had a 3 1 lead going into the third, Bruins tied it. So, 
And as I recall, the Lightning had a pretty pretty competitive series against the Islanders a year ago. Right? Well, in, in Boston, too. I mean, they played both of them both last of them, year in the yeah, bubble. So exactly. beat both of them. They beat both of them in, in recent years, too, beyond just last year. Um, they mm-hmm. have, they, those, those two franchises, Islanders and Boston, both have history with the Lightning in the playoffs in the last seven, eight years. They've played a couple times. So. Yeah. And the Lightning have won all those series. So Remarkable. Well, we'll see what happens tonight. That game is, uh, what, at 7.30? 7.30 tonight, yeah. Thursdays will be at 8 o'clock, but tonight is at 7.30 in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Of course, Thursday at, for game three will be a home game at Amelie Arena at 8 o'clock. So. Interesting to see how many people they have at Amelie, but it'll be a, a Well, they've a announced They've crowd. announced 13.5 is what the capacity will be, so they have updated. I mean, we're inching up. I mean, we're almost there, right? Let's get uh, Yeah, 13.5's got to be, what, 75, 70, some, about 75%, I think, somewhere pretty close to that. Yeah, what does it hold, about 19-plus chains? 19,092 like is the official capacity. Okay, yeah, so they're inching up there. They're getting there for sure. Yeah. But it'll be loud. It was loud in Carolina, and uh, I'm sure it will be again tonight. I want to wrap it up on this. This is a, sort of a story that uh, has a lot of tentacles, so I'm not, I'm not real sure um, you know, all the, the particulars, although I, 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 I just want to address it because I, I went back and forth a little bit. It was, it was not really related, but somewhat related to something on Twitter that I was was responding to. Uh, Naomi Osaki, the uh, terrific uh, tennis player, uh, you know, she had decided she was not we're not going to do any press conferences at the French Open. And then she was fined, or was about to be fined, $15,000 for doing that. She withdrew from the tournament. I mean, this is really a shocking bit of news, you know, for the number one player in the world uh, to, deter- to decide to withdraw rather than, face the media and she wrote a very heartfelt letter and I, I think it's it, it, it sort of shows how you can't jump to conclusions about people because you don't know what's going on with them necessarily but she just you know she wrote a letter and she said hey this is not a situation I thought I would be in um, but I think the best thing for me and for the other players and my well-being is that I withdraw and she said she never wanted to be a distraction and she accepts that her timing wasn't great and more importantly um, she says that the truth is that she has suffered long bouts of depression since winning the U.S. Open in 2018. She says, I've really had a hard time coping with that. Anyone who knows me knows I'm introverted, and anyone that has seen me at tournaments will notice that I'm often wearing headphones as to help dull my social anxiety. Um, the te- although the tennis press has always been kind to me, and I want to apologize, especially to all the cool journalists I may have hurt, I'm not a natural public speaker and get huge waves of anxiety before I speak to the world's media. And I really get nervous and find it stressful to engage and give you the best answers I can. So she was already feeling vulnerable in uh, Paris and she decided to uh, get some self care and skip press conferences. And um, she sort of announced that uh, preemptively because she knew it wasn't going to go over well. And then she found out that, you know, they were going to find her and all of that. So she decided to withdraw and, you know, I think it's a uh, it's kind of sad in, in a sense that, you know, whatever issues she has from a social anxiety standpoint or getting in front of people and, and, and speaking in press conferences, she she definitely deserves and needs uh, the, the, uh, the counseling or w- whatever she feels is necessary to make her healthy uh, from that standpoint. So you don't begrudge her. I mean, this was a big step for her to do. She's turning down a chance to win a Grand Slam, lots of money, all those things. She simply doesn't want to get up in that format uh, with those cameras on her. And so uh, you feel for her. Your heart goes out, out for uh, to her. But by the same token, 
it it is something that comes with the territory, right? And I've known players that did not want to be in front of cameras and weren't comfortable, um, you know, talking even one on one sometimes. And most most players that I've dealt with uh, are better when when you know the cameras aren't on them and you're just talking to them as a regular person. Maybe not in a scrum. Maybe it's just two on one or one on one that sort of thing. They're more relaxed because I think we're we're as human beings. You know, when you turn lights and put them in our face. We all kind of freeze up at first, um, but it is such an important part of of the job, right? Because you know your customers or your fans of tennis, your fans of the NFL, um, they can't get enough, and that's what sells the sport. And you represent that sport that's being sold to the masses, and that's why you're getting paid. Quite frankly, um, the money you do to play tennis is because it's become so popular, and in, in, in football. Uh, as it, I guess it was in tennis, apparently contractually you're obligated to cooperate with the media to some extent uh, or to a large extent. And if you don't, you're in violation of your contract. And that's why they were going to find um, Naomi Osaki. And, and, and that's more than likely why she decided, mm, I'm just not, I'm not prepared mentally uh, to handle this right now. And you got to respect your decision, but it, it really is a, it's it's a difficult one, you know. It's and and there were some people on Twitter, uh, just for a moment. I just you know I was, I kind of didn't know the genesis of this when I jumped into the fray, um, a little bit. But it was it was interesting because it caught my attention. You know, Tom Jones and I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, when we were talking about podcast or uh, about um, access in the locker room and maybe what this season would look like because of zoom calls and, and, you know, sort of what has gone on the last few years. There was a tweet by Lindsay Jones, who's a terrific writer. Uh, She is also the president of the pro football writers association. And she was sort of talking about this. She just said in a pro football context, this is why locker room access matters and why the pro football writers association will continue to push for the return to pre COVID policies it's about us and our jobs for sure, but it's also about the athletes and the people we cover. And then a lot of people sort of reacted, you know, negatively to that. I mean, you know, as Lindsay wrote, she said, you know, Naomi Osaka uh, is right that the press conferences as a means of media access can be dehumanizing even more so over Zoom. You lose the chance to have a conversation, ask follow-ups, get context. Athletes are more than a day, this day's performances, and we need to real access to tell those stories. And I think she's right. I think when you when you just merely put somebody in a two dimensional camera uh, like they're on in Zoom, and you know, there's in, in some instances in, in the case of of us covering the NFL and covering the Bucks, they they can't even really see who they're talking to at times. You know, um, it's really difficult for the person that's sitting there answering questions, much less um, you know, in the case of Rob Gronkowski or Tom Brady, we never even have a chance to meet those gen- gentlemen. We they don't know us from Adam other than somebody on the other side of the screen. So it's difficult. You know, I've always said that, you know, you need to, uh, to have that access to build relationships with relationships comes trust with trust comes information. And with information, everybody benefits because it gives us context to what the athlete is dealing with. And I think with that, um, you know, certainly the tennis writers would be, are sympathetic to her, her situation. We all know athletes again, like I said, that, 
um, are, are less comfortable than others, uh, even talking to a reporter in the locker room. But if you throw them in front of a Zoom, it's going to really be difficult for them, and nobody wins. So I, I just think that um, you know this was, was something that, uh, that Lindsay addressed. And a lot of people were sort of like, yeah, well, you guys don't ask anything except you know just keep it to the sports and you know what did you think what were you thinking on this plan it's like yeah you don't you don't really have the opportunity to see uh, you know how we do our jobs there are some that do it well some don't but when we're in that locker room or when we have access to these athletes we're able to build personal relationships we're able to trust each other you know it's not always hey man why'd you drop that pass you know or what'd you think you, what were you thinking on that touchdown no, you 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 find out about their families. You find out about their background. You know, you you have a they find about it yours. You know, um, you, you're all working in the same arena every single day, and you come into contact with the same people. So you actually become acquaintances, like you would in any job. And and I think them being able to see you as a, as a person with a wife, with kids, and a mortgage, you know, sort of humanizes you, and 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 they're humanized as well to you. They're not just these sports figures that are mythical and, and, um, you know, uh, unbreakable and, and, you know, sort of, uh, sort of just superheroes. They're actual real people that have real problems. So it, it, it just provides context. It builds trust. And I hope we get back to it. I, I, you know, I know that the league is, is, you know, widening the opportunities for teams with players that are vaccinated. Um, these players are going to have all kinds of the ability even on the road to meet with vaccinated family members, to go out to eat, to do things um, and won't have to be tested. If they come into contact with somebody with COVID won't have to be uh, contact traced, all that stuff. So if you're going to do that, I hope that they open the locker rooms and, and allow vaccinated reporters to talk to vaccinated players, you know, and have that access that we've always had in the past. Cause again, I think, and Tom and I talked about this many uh, podcasts ago, I just think it benefits the teams and certainly the readers. Um, they're the big winners in all of this. All right, before we wrap up here, just a uh, note. The Islanders did tie that series up one-to-one against the Bruins. Uh, Casey Sezikis in overtime. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Puck went off a Bruins skate, and he had a breakaway goal uh, to win it in the first late in the first overtime. So that that's series huge. tied at 1-1. And I was just uh, stumbled across this stat from Stats by Stats. Mm-hmm. Entering the month of May, Rays baseball had a 13-14 and record. They're now 35 and 20. They're the first Major League Baseball team to be under 500 at the beginning of a month and 15 games over at the end of the month. That's since the Boston Braves did it in August of 1933. That's crazy. 1933. I mean, that is just crazy to start the month. What was it? Three games under 500. 13 and 14. They were one game under. One game under and finished 15 over. Wow. It is a long month, 31 days, but still. It is, but, yeah, the first team to do that since August of 33, the Boston Braves. That is crazy. That's crazy. Well, that shows how, how well they're playing, and they are. It's not a fluke. They're playing very, very well. They've beaten some really good teams. So uh, they got three games left with the Yankees. That series will continue tonight. Tyler Glass uh, now on the mound tonight. Yeah, he's going to be dealing, and you got a couple afternoon games after that. Uh, uh, no, Wednesday night's a night game. Thursday's a oh, night it is. game. Thursday's a game. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Sandwiched around two night games. Yes. There you go. Yep. So, yeah, they'll have the uh, Businessman Special on Thursday. Also, happy birthday to Joe Namath, Joe Willie, Broadway Joe, 78 years old yesterday. It's incredible that that time has gone by that quickly, um, believe me. Uh, but he's still, you know what, the guy, I, I had a chance to meet him a few times, one of the nicest dudes, man. And Boy, when you talk about 
um, sort of the you know the, the the heyday of football, right? I mean, not just his story from Beaver Falls and ended up at Alabama and uh, and all of that playing for Bear Bryant, but then the AFL versus the NFL and, and going to the Jets, and then of course um, you know uh, upsetting the Colts in the Super Bowl. Uh, all of that is just such a great story, and, and you see the pictures of him sitting around the pool in Miami before the Super Bowl, and writers would just sit there on lawn chairs and interview guys. Oh, man, how I wish it was like that again today. But, um, yeah, 78 years old for Joe Willie Namath. How about that? Wow. Pretty remarkable. So his birthday was yesterday, on the, the 31st? Yeah, birthday, yeah, it was on the 31st. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Pretty remarkable. So, anyway, um, we're going to have uh, Tom Jones, my former radio partner, longtime columnist of the Tampa Bay Times, now with the Pointer Institute. He will join me after Game 2 in Carolina tomorrow night. Or tonight, actually, it'll be like so, his beat writing days. He'll have to break down the game after the game. He will have to have to. Write, I'm going to make him write a column, and then we can talk about it, like we used to on on the radio show back in the day. So yeah, we'll we'll discuss game two in Carolina. Uh, I'm sure we will have a mailbag this week. I've got some questions already piling up. You can submit those um, by uh, texting us. Well, not texting us. You can do that as well. But you can also uh, do it on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Had one, Steve, that's waiting for us from Australia. We down Under. podcast lister from Down Under. Right. How about How about that? I mean, we are international. I, mean, I knew we had, we had some in, in uh, London Great or England. Great Britain, London, yes. yeah, I, for I sure. I know we had Australian listeners. We, we've now captured Australia. Excellent. There you go. Yeah, so we are we are the worldwide. Well, and, and, if Tampa you're listening uh, from uh, overseas or elsewhere, let us know where you're listening from. Yeah. We'd love to know. Let us know just in general. Actually, I mean, yeah, if you're I, listening in, you know, St. Pete or in, you know, Palm yeah. Harbor or something, go ahead and let us know. Had a bunch from uh, Massachusetts, of course, Brady fans that were looking for in- news and information down here on Tom and his new team and what was going on. A lot of those guys uh, have also found the podcast, which is really nice. Get letters from them. The Bucks are going to begin or resume their OTAs today. Uh, Tom Brady, of course, is not participating, but him and his guys have begun throwing now or did a, uh, last Friday, I guess it was, at uh, the Bucks facility. So maybe they'll, they'll resume doing that as well. But um, three more OTAs, and then it's a mandatory minicamp June 7th through 9th, and then they're done. They're done for the, uh, the remainder of the offseason until they come back in July. So lots going on. Keep it right here, Monday through Friday. It's Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 